Welcome to an episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, and experience from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe so you won't miss a new episode. I'm your host, Fritz Bissemaker, and today I'm going to be talking to Jennifer Dungs. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you, Fritz. Very happy to be here today. Allow me to briefly introduce uh, who Jennifer is. Uh, You spent nearly 20 years in the automotive industry, including Ford Motor Company, uh, BMW, and Porsche. Uh, You have gained an in-depth knowledge in sustainability uh, in the automobile industry. We'll talk about that. Uh, You've been a director at Fraunhofer, the major research institute in Germany. You have two PhDs, one in chemical engineering, the other one in chemistry. And you're currently uh, responsible for strategic investments with uh, Inno Energy. And uh, people can also uh, follow you on your monthly blog uh, on Forbes. You're originally from the States, but you live in Germany. So, Jennifer, again, thank you so much for being on the program. Yeah, thank you to you. (laughs) A lot to talk about. Now, I just briefly introduced your background. But when you meet new people, what's the first thing you share about yourself when meeting new people? I think the first thing that I share about myself is the same thing that I want to know about the other person, which is what drives them or what inspires them. Because at the end of the day, it's not our titles or what companies we work at, but why we get up every day and do what we do. And so for me personally, this comes with the answer that I'm motivated to create impact. And what I love about the area of mobility is that it's something that touches all of us. It's it's something that it's central to all of us in how we live and how we work, our quality of life. And so even super small improvements in that can create a meaningful impact for all of us. Okay. Now, I understand that that's, uh, let me... Uh frame this uh, correctly uh, that's an uh, it sounds like something in hindsight you can assess look uh, mobility touches on everything uh, uh, so uh, go, going in with uh, as an engineer going into mobility uh, gives me that opportunity but is that really what you thought of when you started your journey as an engineer yeah good question I think when I've reflected on this topic um, in the past, I think there's only one consistency in both the educational path that I took and also my career path. And that was that it wasn't a straight line. So originally when I started my education, I was pre-med, I was biology, long story short, this this changed into chemistry. So I was gonna be a scientist. Then it switched again to engineering. And maybe one of the biggest surprises then is that I found myself at first career at Ford Motor Company as a chemist. And that was not so traditional in those times. But if you think about the work that needed to be done, the work that I was doing in in those early years was related to fuel economy testing or CO2 abatement strategies, also the topic of alternative fuels. We weren't quite thinking about electrification and hydrogen fueled vehicles at that time in the same way we do now, but nonetheless, there was a lot of chemistry still in the automotive industry. Okay, so um, so that as sort of, you mentioned, it wasn't a straight linear path your career. So 
what did that mean okay the word tangents you just took on a different turn or sometimes was or was it more a break uh was yeah. it more, so how smooth or bumpy <laughs> were those changes you know i think one of the biggest changes um i wouldn't call it a break but like a shift from left to right in in some ways was going into this field as as a scientist mm-hmm. or going into this field as an engineer. And actually, I went back uh, when, during my time at Ford, and I decided to get a PhD in organic chemistry. And there was no real need to do this, but I loved the science and I wanted to do it. But it was during this time, this was the most challenging time in my whole career, where I actually had my first failure. And I also had to get a better understanding of of what it means to be an engineer versus what it means to be a scientist. So you may be quite curious, my first failure. And what does that mean? What was okay. that? Well, maybe I can can kind of set the stage and you yeah. can also see my personality a little bit. So it was back in 2004 and it was a very important day. I had made a shopping list. I got food and grapes and crackers and drinks. It was two years after I had started my PhD program, and it was the day that I would present my results to date and also get the approval to finish the PhD program and have another three to four years. I was very excited. I was very nervous. I even vacuumed the uh, room where I was going to give my defense, and I felt prepared. So I had done more experiments than any counterpart. I had all the preparation um, done. But at the end of the committee, they said, you did not fail. I I considered a failure, but we ask you to come back in three months. And this was the real crux of the topic. They said the reason why was because I had not yet learned how to think. I shall spend the next three months learning how to think, and then I can come back and do the same thing, but at the chalkboard. I don't need to do any more work. So this was a very critical point in my whole path because I'm someone who was always very task-oriented and in getting things done, but I didn't spend enough time really examining why we're doing all of this and what what's behind all of these questions that we should be answering to get even more depth and understanding. And so that was a very pivotal point. And I, I still call it a failure, even though they, they might describe it slightly different uh oh uh, and i've had that personal experience myself as well i'll not go delve into that but uh in hindsight the, the minute they tell you okay you haven't passed your phd yet you're not there yet um that question you need to, need to learn to think yeah and when you look back on that um is it more than just a failure in your mind is did they have a point did did you not do oh. you understand what they were talking about I, I would say that is the single biggest gift that I have received in my career path to date. And it's also, I think, the single biggest reason why I'm where I'm at today. Um, because being able to add in strategic questions and context and backstory to look at the work that you're doing is helping me even today as an investor, right? Mm-hmm. So as an investor... I need to be looking for all the parts 
of this business, of this technology, of this team that are behind the curtain. And, and really, yeah, it's, it's really in that area of critical thinking, I would say. But for me, it, it was very instrumental. Um, it's not about, I mean, of course, there are some jobs that that is what it's about, you know, to, to, to fill in data, but it's much more than that. It's, it's about creating this context and this additional learning from whatever work that you're doing. Okay. So, uh, so how did that change uh, your role uh, as a person? I think it changed my priorities a little bit. So in the past, it was more about getting the tasks done. And now it's, it's not necessarily not about getting the tasks done, but it's about putting this question of the why into the center of everything. You know, why are we doing this? What is, what is the greater meaning? And then this, this translates. I give you another example for when I was at Fraunhofer, we did a pretty interesting story or analysis on car sharing. Okay. So this was the time, it was about 2010. Yeah. And this Before was when the case, yeah. Explain Fraunhofer for the audience. Not everybody would know what Fraunhofer is. Yeah, Fraunhofer is um, the largest institute in Europe for applied research. Okay. So really kind of like a MIT, but more on the side of applied research. So a little bit further on besides the fundamental research. And when I was there, this was when this whole topic of CASE or ACES was exploding. That means connected, autonomous, shared, and electric cars. Okay. And everybody said, we need to focus on mobility services and we're going to have shared cars and electric and, 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 and autonomous cars. But we really took a deep look and said, what would it mean? You know, what if, let's look at New York. So we took 170 million taxi trips which is done in one year in New York City. And we asked the question, how many of those trips could be shared, for instance, Fritz, between you and I, if we're on the nearby corners? And what impact would it have on, on each of us? And the end results were pretty interesting. It said that 95% of the trips could be shared with two people with only causing either of us, you or I, a five minute or less delay on our entire trip. And then what we did from there is we calculated, okay, what would that mean for congestion in the cities? You know, um, how many less kilometers traveled? What would that mean for less CO2? And so really trying to build that out into a story. So it's not just we should do car sharing because it logically makes sense. It's mm -hmm. what would it actually mean to a city? What would it mean in rush hour traffic? Okay, so it, it, that's quite consequential because uh, you're, uh, if you go down that route, uh, you actually are also changing the behavior, the mindset of people of yeah. how we think about living in a city, how we think about traveling and mobility in general. Exactly. And actually, that's a, a really good point that you just made because. I don't know, it may come as a surprise, but it's very difficult to change people's mobility behavior. Mm -hmm. So 
we are really cre- creatures of habit. And we, yeah. when it comes to mobility, we want whatever option is most comfortable for us. The only thing that I find fascinating now is that in the last two years, because of COVID, we have all changed our mobility behavior. More of us are working from home or we've modified how and where we travel for work. Um, we also have this trend that we see now what's called hyper-local mobility, meaning we just sort of live and move around where we um, where we're living, um, a much smaller, smaller area there. And in some ways, that's been a pretty positive impact on our transition to a more sustainable mobility. But I don't know that that would have came with just better apps or better scooters or better, um, yeah. you know, mobility offers. I think we have to have a little bit of a push. Yeah. Uh, okay. What I'm thinking now of is you have that, that, that 20 years background in the automotive industry. Um, so that's helping um, car manufacturers or um, are, are I mean uh, are these still car manufacturers that's the basic question I have for you because if you look at the future of mobility um, uh, are these also then the organizations which would provide solutions which could be much more uh, complex and uh, have much much more variety than just uh, a car or car sharing Mm-hmm. So when you look at, I mean, I'm just uh, just interested where you uh, put your strategic investments uh, for transport, uh, for mobility. Is that looking at the car manufacturers or is that looking at completely different solutions? Yeah, in, in the context of investing, I think our investment thesis is really how can we create the most impact? Yeah. So obviously road transport and passenger cars is a big contributor, but we're also looking at other segments like aviation and also shipping. Yeah. And for example, one thing again, just tied to the topic we just discussed with COVID, we saw a lot of things changing in our cities, not just because of COVID, but also because of the boom of e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So we've also invested a lot in the area of last mile logistics, uh, where we really believe we need more green areas in the cities and it, it does need to be zero emission, but then also some other form factors can lead to just more space and inefficiencies in our cities. So it's it's in all of those, but to the question about the OEMs or the automotive companies, you know, they were on this path to be mobility providers. Now we've moved away from that a little bit. They're back kind of being car providers, let's say, for simple terms, but they are focused very heavily on two topics. One is decarbonization, and the second one is digitalization. So looking at what Tesla's done in the space, for example, um, has really pushed the OEMs, but even the iPhone and, and other things that are in your and my ecosystem of how we how we use hardware. And okay. so there's been a big press to to do that. Yeah, could you give us a couple of examples for the audience, which which are not really uh, might not have that insight? Yeah, so I think in the car, um, it can be anything from a pretty simple idea like keyless entry, you know, where your car key is actually in your phone, you know, and then you can also give, I could give you access to my car because you can have through the app um, access to open my car and something very simple like that to more kind of um, out of the box things where we're getting software updates every month 
and new features are being included in our car. This could be, again, anything from improvements in the mapping or in our routing. You know, maybe there's something new there. It could be something, I just had a, a latest update in my car. Mm-hmm. It was called car wash mode. And I was actually quite excited because I'm always that person going into the car wash kind of stress, like I got to shut the, you know, I got to shut the windows and turn in the mirrors and, you know, and it's moving so fast all of a sudden and I got to get the wipers off and I got to get into neutral and it's all, it all feels like it's happening at the same time. And now there's a button in the car, you just hit it and then everything prepares itself. And so, so also things like that. But of course, on the, on the more sophisticated side is the topic of assisted driving technologies as well, you know, um, lane change assist or things like that, which if you buy your car and you have it for three, five, 10 years, having those software updates will give you a feeling of something new. And and that's what, what I think the customers want. Okay. So, but that's okay. That, that's still using the car or the, mo- the, the, the device as a basis. Uh, I mean, thinking out of the box, this could also mean I'm going to invest in the metaverse because I don't need people to always physically travel. They can virtually travel and actually going to save much more, even much more energy. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. And that, that does actually come up. But I mean, I know you're very active in this space in terms of um, personal development and teams and, and culture mm-hmm. and for me personally, I think we need to still keep the connection piece um, on the table. And for connection, that does require physical presence to a certain extent. So yeah, while maybe the metaverse or Zoom meetings and, and things like this work to a certain extent, I think as humans and, and animal nature, we still have this desire to spend time in the same room also for building trust and in yeah. collaboration and things like that. Oh, I fully so, agree with you. Or very, very much a fair point. It's just uh, trying to understand, okay, how, how, what's your view? We're going to deal with uh, mobility. It's, it's, it's always going to be there. Uh, um, yeah. Always going to be there. And, and, you know, let's see what happens right now. The projections say that, um, the amount of CO2 and the amount of kilometers traveled is expected to triple um, by 2050. And that's partly because of the population increase. It's also because of the GDP increase. Um, Maybe those, you know, those are from the the World Bank and, and maybe they don't turn out to be exactly that way. But the point is there's no real projections that says we're going to travel less. Um, so we need to be prepared for that because a lot of our systems are already working at overcapacity, especially if you've traveled recently. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I experienced that as well. Now, um, if I'm asking, if do do you have a family? I do. Yeah. I have two kids. Yeah. Okay. How uh, how do you? Uh, I mean, we've talked about you know as uh, from a business side. Uh, trying to see how you can uh, create solutions how do you take this at home do you have discussions with your kids look hey this is this is the the world today this is how the world's going to look like tomorrow what do you wish for them yeah um definitely i i love talking not just with my kids but with with anyone about these questions of what what's our world going to look like tomorrow and and more importantly what are we going to do about it 
But I think with my kids, in a lot of ways, I've just tried to lead by example. And some of the things that they've picked up on have come with a different perspective than what I would have even communicated. And I'll give you one example. So for example, the electric car, I've been driving electric for about 10 years now. And I've had different vehicles um, along the way. And, you know, I would tend to tell them, hey, it's important we have zero emission vehicles because of the local emissions and, and what impact that could have on health and things like this. They love the electric car because it's quiet. So my husband, he, he's a German um, and, and likes the German car companies. His car is not so quiet. And so oftentimes in the morning, my kids would always say, I'd, I'd prefer to take the quiet car. <laughs> um, and, but I think a lot of it just comes from what example you're setting yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, a lot of petrol heads in this world are going, that's a dying breed then I guess. They're going to be disappointed that all that sound uh, cars they love uh, is going away. Maybe so, but I, I would argue, so my mom, she turns uh, 80 next year and she just bought her first full electric car, battery electric car in the US. And she she bought it because she tested mine. You know, so often she was here and we were in my car. And I, I really believe that once people try it and mm -hmm. you see how quiet it is, you see how responsive it is in the city, you figure out how charging would be for you in a comfortable way, I think there's no going back and no one will want a noisy car anymore is my yeah. hypothesis. <laughs> I, I have not heard of anybody who traded in their electric car for a gas car anymore. Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's kind point. of a one way. Okay. Uh, now having the job you have, uh, I'm, I mean, that, that's quite demanding. Uh, how do you balance uh, um, your private life with your work life? Yeah, also a very good question, Fritz. I think if I had to answer that, I would say, I'm not sure it was always balanced, of course, mm -hmm. right? I think the way I look at it is that at any given time, it's mostly out of balance, meaning, you know, I'm spending more time at work or more time with the family. But the point is that I look at it over a longer period of time and mm -hmm. then I find the balance. So it may be, Hey, I have got a, a really tough three months coming up at work, but then after that, I'm going to set aside some time for the family and I pick up my kids at four o'clock or whatever the case might be. So I think at any given time, it's probably a little out of balance, but over the long period, I try to keep it in balance. And I, I, I heard this, statement or quote the other day that I really enjoyed because I do aspire to this, which is, it said, I do quit. Quitting is my favorite. Every day I quit. I wake up, I care the most amount. And then at some point I put it all away. I melt into my people or my family. I rest, I wake up and I begin again. And I think when I'm at work, it's the same way. I try to get up, give a hundred percent, but then at some point I know I need to stop. I need to quit, switch gears, shut shut it down, and then give some time to um, my 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 family or personal yeah. topics. Yeah. I think it's a very good life lesson. Just put down your phone. Uh, don't read the email. Uh, quit. Uh, no, uh, fully accept that. Um, <laughs> hey, 
uh, unfortunately, almost at the end, uh, Jennifer. Uh, now, as mentioned, you first, I mean, you come from the States, uh, you first uh, worked in uh, in the States, and then you came to Europe. Uh, different yeah. culture. Uh, what were the key differences you noticed as, a, as an outsider, which might be very normal for somebody in Europe, which you notice, hey, that, that's actually different? Yeah, so I think maybe what's surprising, first of all, what's not different or what was not different was when I moved from Ford to BMW to, to OEMs, the, the, the language inside the, the companies, the, the product cycles, the technology terms, everything, everything was the same. So actually there was very little difference in moving from, from the two companies. But what was different was that in the beginning when I started at BMW, I started to get these calendar invites for coffee meetings and I didn't really know what it meant. I would usually bring my notebook and a pen, thought I would take some notes and, and identify some follow-up points. And mind you, before moving to Germany, I had never drank coffee, but it didn't take me long to realize that these meetings were not your typical meetings. Um, but rather a chance to kind of get to know the colleagues and also the projects and the initiatives in a different light. And this again comes back to um, me thinking more about the why, because this was also a chance for me to think and ask questions and ask why about these projects. And in the end, when I had these projects where I had these coffee meetings as well, they were always more successful. We were always better aligned. We were more efficient. I had to get used to the coffee yeah. and the caffeine. I mean, sometimes I was having four coffees a day. I later realized I could switch to tea. But one other thing, just as an added bonus, and one last thing was that what became extremely important to me was that in many instances, through these coffee meetings, I found a new mentor or someone okay. I could mentee. And that's, I'm still in contact with a lot of them today. And that was something that was very instrumental also along the, the path. Uh, I do have uh, experience uh, that the coffee machine, I believe is the most <laughs> undervalued, underestimated management tool uh, out there. Cause you do, it, it allows for uh, serendipity. Uh, it allows for uh, chance meetings and it allows for uh, networking uh, it, it's a great way to meet people which because uh, uh you can actually come up to them and say hey what are you doing here yeah i think when you come with that sense of curiosity or um maybe a common interest or maybe there's something even to support one another then it, it it's not networking in somehow the, the negative way but it's really um a positive thing okay yeah what do you mean by networking in a negative way? Well, I think sometimes for people, and I, and I read this article in um, uh, the Harvard Business Review about it, people tend to think, oh, you network for one of two reasons, one to get promoted or the other one to prevent getting fired. <laughs> um, yeah. And if you associate it with, with maybe either of those, uh, maybe also with getting promoted, it, it doesn't always have a positive context. And that's why I think it's very important to think about what you're leading with in those meetings. You know, I mean, if you're leading just to yeah, get promoted, then might not work out anyway, but I think it's, it's not the right intention. I think of what, what's behind meaningful networking. 
Okay. Now, so the Germans use the coffee machine. Have you then gone back to the States? Okay, what's the the networking tool yeah. for people in the States? That's interesting. We don't have good 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 coffee, I would say, in general, nothing against the States, but yeah. in the States, or at least at the, the car companies, um, we didn't have the most fancy coffee machines. I think in in the time that I was there, um, you know, we did a lot of different types of things. So we did a lot of, one thing that was different was doing volunteer activities together, which you don't see in Germany as a contrast. So we would go and um, help tear down a house or work in a soup kitchen. Um, this was also very good for, for networking. Um, other activities were maybe more like outdoor related, whether it was going to see a baseball game together or going to the golf course, for example, is also another one in the U.S. where I say you just get a chance to talk about the topics in a slightly different way than you do in the meeting room. In the business room. And yeah. uh, what would your advice be to young people starting off their career in this context? I would say, and this is also advice I would give myself earlier, is to really put yourself out there, mm -hmm. to take some risks, to speak up. Don't always be intimidated or concerned um, if everything is not perfect or, or how you wish it would be, because I think this is where we learn the most lessons. And I was probably in my early days, maybe a little bit too conservative that if I didn't have all the answers that I wouldn't speak up. But I think, I hope we're creating a culture now where, um, where we can, yeah, kind yeah. of make that barrier to participation a little bit lower. Yeah. And uh, actually I feel sorry. I have to ask you this question, but is that also related to the fact that you are a minority as a female engineer in a car company? I mean, that also yeah. does something to you? Yeah, definitely. Um, that That's probably most likely um, related. And I think, um, yeah, it's just when we have a seat at the table to use your seat at the table um, because all voices and all backgrounds and all inputs are usually better than just having a few, you know? And I think because you brought up the um, diversity topic as well, I think if there was one thing I could wish for in that space is just to give, give diversity or give some women a chance. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes the individuals might not check all the boxes. They might bring something else. But when I reflect on my path at Ford, they gave a chemist a chance at BMW. They gave a non-German speaking engineer in research and development a chance and these chances were very instrumental for me in opening the door and, and showing everyone included, like what a positive thing this could be. Okay. So that, that's your um, advice to those organizations, those corporates out there. Hey, give people a chance. And for the, can you also give an advice uh, for the individual, for all those females who want to go into this type of industries? You know, I think if, if there was one advice I would say is it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So maybe that's cliche, but that's also mm -hmm. how I look at it is that, you know, there's going to be times where our heads are down and, and you need to 
um, like when I when I did my path, for example, I I planned how I wanted to do it. So I said the first 10 years or so, I want to develop technical expertise. You know, I want to have something in my pocket that I can say, hey, I really know this topic. I'm, I'm somehow an expert here. Yeah. And in the second phase, it was more about understanding all the areas of a company and how they all work together. Um, and then I had said in my mind, you know, the third phase would be the time where I would start to try to affect change and create meaningful impact. Now, I would argue that you could start him back at phase one, um, but I, yeah, I think um, knowing that it's 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 a long journey, and and maybe we create little seeds of impact along the way, um, but we might not see the greater results for a longer time. And, but keep going. <laughs> keep going. I, I think that's yeah. great advice. Uh, and it actually ties to also uh, quit every day because you have to restart the next morning. Uh, That's right. <laughs> find that and it's balance. always there. Yeah. yeah, it's always there the next day, right? It, 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 you don't need to worry that if you don't do it tonight, it's it's somehow gone. Okay. Hey, uh, Jennifer, uh, I'm, I'm, I want to thank you very much you, uh, for sharing your personal story, how you got uh, where you are today, uh, being a female engineer in a male-dominated automotive world, but also now how you're using your skills, your experience to make a change, and uh, and not only for yourself, but for the world and the future generation around you. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, Fritz, and thank everybody for listening today. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.